Episode 114 is here, everybody, with David Tao, the founder and editor of Barbend. You can find them at barbend.com, an online internet publication. Uh, he's got his own podcast. It's all focused around weightlifting, weight training, um, physical health, wellness, all that kind of stuff. So check him out online. We've linked him up in the show notes. Thank you for sharing your story, the Harvard graduate. Uh, who graduated in 2011 and then uh, about four years ago started up Barbend. And here they are with over 2 million uh, visitors per month across their platform. So uh, congratulations. We'll continue to watch their success and their growth. Uh, before we get there, everybody, as always, you might be getting sick of me saying this, but please click subscribe, join the family. And uh, we are growing, and I am so excited by the numbers, and I'm so excited by the impact that, that we're having. So uh, thank you for continuing to share the podcast. Thank you for rating the podcast and for sh uh, for subscribing. And with that said, as everybody, as always, everybody, like I said, uh, phenomenal 30-minute conversation coming your way right now. Please sit back, relax, and welcome the one and only David Tao. The Optimal Life. David Tao, welcome, man. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. How's uh, how we were just talking before we came on here about the the craziness with coronavirus. It's it's shutting down conventions all over this country, including Ohio. Yeah, it's it's something that you know. As of this recording last night, we found out that the uh, expo, at least the, the public facing expo, what what you know, hundreds of thousands of people go to at the Arnold Sports Festival, is canceled. They're still going to have the competitions, but basically without spectators so it's certainly been an eventful time in the strength sports community and i mean sure globally conventions all around uh the world and, and gatherings all around the world but it's interesting how even for our our niche audiences like strength sports like we cover at barbend uh it's it's thrown a wrench in a lot of people's plans yeah that's crazy so what are they going to do with the uh at these conventions how without people there what what happens without, without well, the fans they're still working out the details. We are actively talking to different event organizers and trying to figure it out because, you know, we cover not only the Arnold Sports Festival, but also we cover things like the CrossFit Games, things like the Olympics, things that later on this year could potentially be impacted by closures, uh, by the coronavirus, etc. Um, so at the Arnold Sports Festival, they're still having the competitions, but with one exception, with the, with the only exception being the bodybuilding finals, so far, uh, there aren't going to be spectators. So normally, a lot of these events, you'll see tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people descend on Columbus, Ohio to go to the expo, to go to brand booths, to basically take in the atmosphere and to watch these events and competitions. But these lifters and these athletes will be competing to basically empty crowds. They're only allowing athletes, coaches, technical officials, and parents of athletes if they're, you know, junior athletes or youth athletes. So wow. it'll certainly be a, a bit of a different environment than I think a lot of these athletes were expecting. And I think a lot of athletes um, are totally okay with that. I'm sure some are disappointed because certainly there are a lot of performers and athletes who love playing to the crowd and those crowds just won't be there. So I assume that that affects everyone's business, including yours, including Barbend. You know, it affects our business, but I don't think it's, it affects our, our it, in a, such a tangible way, like our, our, you know, our bottom line. For okay. example, if you're, um, 
if you're a brand, say you're a supplement brand or equipment brand, this is a huge, impactful event for you. You invest in getting people there. You invest in buying, renting the space to have a booth. You invest in the setup. And it's a big marketing uh, point of the year for you. It's a big point of contact with people in person, seeing your products, making connections. They won't have that opportunity, so it could certainly impact them in a negative way. As far as on the barbend side, how it impacts us is, you know, frankly, we're going to still cover the events. We're still going to write about results. We're still going to bring people to coverage. And in fact, our coverage might be more important to more people because those folks won't be there in person uh, to watch because they won't be able to. So it impacts how we approach things. Uh, but the, the brands and the companies I really feel for are those who use that as a big, impactful marketing event in the course of the calendar. Right, like the supplement companies, for example. Exactly. If you're selling something physical, this is one of the few times of year where you can really interact with people in an intimate, like close setting, and they're just not going to have that opportunity. Wow. Wow. That's that's hard, man. That's hard. There's so many external threats to business, and we're seeing it unfold in front of our eyes in, in the fitness industry, for example, right now, amongst yeah. many others, airlines. All every every business across the board is getting hammered right now because of this. It, yeah, the fitness industry normally is not the first industry to experience <laughs> right. the impacts of any global phenomenon, yeah, right? Yeah. It's normally like the tier two or tier three industries, right? So travel will be affected first yes. and then and other things and then and then the fitness it kind of trickles down. Um, so coronavirus has obviously been a thing for a couple months now and it was kind of a question of if it would become impactful enough to really affect the fitness industry and and events on the calendar and the answer is definitively yes and now the question becomes is it going to impact things like the olympics is it going to impact the crossfit games other big events later this year we don't know yet we just don't know wow yeah it's tbd tbd so uh, barben we talked barben obviously this is your company how many years ago did did you found barben uh, about almost four. We're coming up on our four-year anniversary. Oh, that's it! Wow, good for yeah. you. Four, so four years ago, you founded this company, and, and in a short period of time, you've got you've got a, a pretty significant following now. We're we're very lucky to have a pretty large following online, and it's it's actually grown quite a bit in 2020. It's been a good year so far, uh, but a lot of room to get a lot of room to grow. We really touch kind of the hardcore strength athletes, weightlifters, powerlifters, crossfitters, strongman athletes. And the goal for us is to actually broaden the appeal of our band to produce more content that's appealing to those who might not be the hardcore strength training training person, but might be just interested in strength training as an addition to their lifestyle. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of room for growth, but it's been a great four years and looking forward to some more. And uh, so four years, So so and you're a Harvard graduate. That's correct. So when you're at Harvard, how long ago was that? I graduated in 2011. Okay, so you're at Harvard. What in the world are you taking at Harvard to, to ultimately lead from, from, from Boston classes at one of the most prestigious schools in the country to founding your own online and, and brand? And <laughs> How does this happen? It, it, it's certainly not a direct route. <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm sure many in people, people in media, they have indirect routes to, to where they end up. Uh, I was interested in strength training and athletics in college. It was a big part of my life. It wasn't what I thought would be part of my career. I originally wanted to be a business journalist, so write for Fortune and Forbes and places like that. I'm very lucky in that 
you know, shortly after I graduated from college, I got to contribute to both those publications in different capacities. Wow. And I got to see what it was like to be a business and financial journalist, um, you know, in an up close and personal fashion. How I got involved in the fitness industry was I had always had an interest in strength training. I, I had competed in weightlifting. Um, I really enjoyed CrossFit when I discovered that shortly after college. And um, my uh, career kind of changed paths when I got involved in wellness content. So not just you know business journalism, but wellness content. Work with a few different brands in that space. And so by the time I was you know call it five years out of college, Barbin was founded right before my five year college reunion. I had had uh, these experiences at the intersection of content journalism and, and health and fitness. And so Barbend was really an expression of, well, what if we brought a professional journalistic approach to strength sports specifically and strength training specifically, because there, there didn't exist a, a, that outlet that I'd always wanted uh, regarding that, that home for strength training on strength sports online. So uh, Barbend was, you know, the result of uh, a number of years of observation and, uh, you know, some of my own personal experience across those two spaces. Oh, that's incredible. It just goes to show you when you're passionate about something, there's always, you could always get it. You know, it, it takes a ton of work, obviously, but, but uh, finding that passion and that itch, I'm sure it was something that, I assume that when you were in college, were you, were you studying business, marketing, those kind of things? No, I was a, so, I was a social studies major in college, really? okay. um, and I really studied a lot on immigration. So immigration policy, immigration patterns, the impact on Im that immigration has on you know society around the world, global immigration. That's what I studied actually. Um, I still have a fascination with that. I think it's a relevant topic to everyone's life because we live in a global society, right? Um, especially, especially after the last election when that was the buzzword too. So that must have been interesting for you. It, you know, I, my focus in college was on actually your immigration into Europe, and mm -hmm. uh, I thought that wouldn't be relevant to my daily life later on, uh, but, but it, it sure has, and a lot of what I learned about immigration and immigration patterns uh, in, in Europe, we're, we're actually seeing um, a lot of the similar things uh, happen in, in other countries around the globe, so I don't want to get political, but I will say yeah. that it was certainly a, an experience, and, and, and studying that was certainly something that, while it doesn't impact kind of my professional life day to day, as just a person living in a global society, it certainly gave me a new perspective. On, on how immigration affects uh, people around the globe and in so many different ways. Yeah, that's interesting. But when you're in college and you're studying that, you have to be inter you you obviously were into fitness. Did you ever see yourself getting into like the business fitness space, or was was that not on your mind at that point? It really wasn't on my mind, and I think a lot of that is because what I was interested in um, was you know strength sports. I became interested in weightlifting and started training in the sport of weightlifting when I was still in college. I was I had actually found it after I was rehabbing from uh, from an, uh, an injury in a different sport, and. What I, uh, at the time, it wasn't very popular in the United States. This was kind of before the hyper growth of CrossFit. You know, if you asked people what a snatch or a clean and jerk were, they wouldn't know what was going on. Those sounded like dirty words or something. You know what I mean? They, people weren't familiar yeah, those with those. Are, those, well, are fraternity, those are fraternity house terms. Exactly. Well, yeah. CrossFit comes along, and suddenly you have millions of people in the United States performing power snatches and power cleans, and they know what these things are, right? People are getting coaching certifications, and weightlifting in the United States becomes more popular, as does powerlifting. Uh, and a lot of that is due to the growth of CrossFit. So when I was in college, I didn't think there was a mainstream audience for this stuff because not as many people were interested, at least not 
in the United States. Wow. Right? Weightlifting is a was a much more popular sport in other countries. Now it's grown in popularity in the United States, and there is an audience. So by the time 2016 rolled around, well, there was an audience for this stuff, right? People wanted this content, much more so than when I was in college. So I, I think the timing was very crucial there. What are some of the keys in order to create a successful online internet Mark, you know, brand business. What, 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 what would you suggest? Well, don't go in with too many assumptions, but do go in with some data, right? See, see if there is, um, you know, understand that uh, there are niche audiences, and they can be very impactful, and they can be big, right? But I, I think we we had to go in understanding that like there was potential here that this site could get to millions of readers a month. So we had to understand that there was that existing audience at the same time. Uh, and I think this is a mistake that all people in content entrepreneurship make at some point. Certain assumptions that you have will be misproven, right? Uh, well, they will be proven wrong. And that could uh, that include the type of content. That can include the production of content. Um, you know, you, you want to go in with data. You want to be data-oriented if you work in content uh, because those analytics are important. If you're doing something digitally, you, you want to understand what's actually happening and how people are, are utilizing your product, which is content. Uh, at the same time, that can lead you to make certain assumptions or certain guesses that you will have to make, and sometimes you're going to be way off base. So adaptability and being able to kind of change uh, or, or pivot slightly is, is really crucial in content businesses, just like it is in, in, in any business. Was there a point in time in the last several years where you started seeing some real incremental gains in your viewership? Yeah, there have been several points, and it's, it's funny because you can you can kind of track them because you can look at the analytics, right? Okay. You can look at our growth on uh, site traffic, which is still our biggest audience by far. You can look at our growth on social media. You can look at our growth on platforms like YouTube, and you can see these points because you can look back at the data, and you can see what growth stalls and then when growth really picks up. A really big example is uh, in January of this year, January of 2020, we saw a big surge in site traffic. There was a Google updated um, some, they made some significant updates to their search algorithm. Uh, they often don't tell people when that happens, but this is one where they said, hey, we made some updates. And we saw a pretty significant increase in traffic. We see that as a, a reward for you know a job well done and that we've been producing really quality content for a while and eventually you get rewarded. Um, you know, by Google when it comes to people discovering that organically. We're all about organic discovery. We don't pay to acquire our, our readers, you know what I mean? Um, wow. So ultimately, it, it worked out uh, quite well, and, and uh, we've seen that growth this year. But um, content gains, if you will, they can be incremental, they can be somewhat unpredictable, and it's hardly linear, right? Yeah. What we do is uh, it, it's an industry that is seasonal. Uh, it's an industry that where a lot of our traffic is news-based, so there's a level of unpredictability as well. Well, I'm sure you're seeing that too with your podcast, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Sure, I'm sure you know that much better than I do still. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because... Uh, to your point, it's not linear. There, there's hot moments. There's maybe some cool off moments, and uh, you, you never know when that next big gain is coming. And it's hard to really tell. It's really hard to tell, at least for me on, on the podcast, where I, I see the growth, obviously, but uh, it's hard to really put it into some kind of tangible equation or metric or analysis, at least at this point. But, yeah. but but you know you, you just never know like for example I, and and I saw you have I mean you've had some incredible guests on I mean some big name guests I saw you had the uh, the open the openly gay uh, the world's strongest gay 
Yeah, Rob Rob Kearney. And, and I will say, uh, people say, world's strongest gay. Is that derogatory? No, that's his preferred handle on social media. That's what he goes <laughs> by. Um, you know, he's at world's strongest gay on Instagram. Rob, I actually consider a, a, a personal friend at this point. He's the first openly gay competitor in the world's strongest man competition. And he's broken incredible barriers, not only as uh, a gay man competing in that sport, but also as just an amazing athlete. He's one of the best athletes in that sport in the world, yeah, right? And, I saw, and his rise in the sport has been fantastic to watch. Um, he's one of the you know true American powerhouses in that in that sport now. Um, but really, there's uh, one thing that the podcast has allowed us to do is explore stories beyond just the weight on the barbell. Right. Mm. So Rob, he's one of the strongest people in the world. Right. It's just undeniable. I saw him on Joe Rogan. That's how I came when I saw him on yours. I was like, wow, I just saw this. He was fantastic on Rogan. He's fantastic. And I think that podcasting for us has been a really good way to show that there is depth beyond what people are lifting. Right. You see Rob, he's got a colorful, like rainbow colored mohawk. He's a big dude. He lifts a lot of weights. There's a lot more to Rob than even that. That's a lot, but there's a lot more to Rob and his personal story and, and how he views his his career and his place in the sport. And uh, podcasting is a really good medium to kind of dig into those stories, to dig into the why. You know, yes. It's like we know what he can do. Let's talk about his motivation. Let's dig into the why behind this. What makes this guy tick? Really, yes. really cool avenue that podcasting's opened up for us. It's beautiful. It's great to see somebody that's defying all odds, defying all stereotypes too, especially in this space with macho and manly. You know, and I, I'm going to throw it, 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 that guy defies all stereotypes. And I thought it was beautiful. I didn't listen to your podcast yet, although I will. But um, I came across him on Joe Rogan, and then I saw that he was on yours. So. Uh, I, I just thought he was so comfortable with who he was, and he sheds a whole different light into this uh, fitness industry. Yeah, and I will say, we had him on the podcast first, so uh, thanks go. for poaching our guest, Joe Rogan. <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm absolutely kidding. I saw that you uh, also had uh, Rich Froning, too. We did, we did. We had yeah. Rich on the podcast. Rich is a... Um, obviously known as one of the best crossfitters of all time four-time crossfit games champion uh, as an individual multi-time crossfit games champion uh as the captain of a team uh he's known for being one of the fittest humans in history uh and what a lot of people don't know about rich is that he's a pretty astute businessman as well he's he's an entrepreneur he uh owns a gym obviously crossfit mayhem but he has a lot of businesses kind of built around that gym and he's got a lot going on right yeah. rich Rich is more than just a dude with abs who can who can you know lift a lot of weights in a short period of time. And so, getting to really talk about the other side of, of Rich and and you you realize that for a lot of these athletes, cool their performance on, on the field of play with weights with with CrossFit with whatever that's an important part of who they are. But oftentimes, it's just an avenue to a, that gives them a platform to explore their other many talents. Well, uh, and yeah. I think Rich is a great example of that. They, they are their own brand, for sure. They're their own business entities. Mm-hmm. These guys, they, CrossFit has become so huge. Like you said, what, seven, eight years ago, it was barely anything. And it's just exploded onto the scene. When you were graduating college, it wasn't that that big. No, I mean, it, it was it was known. It was, it was up known, and coming, sure. But I would say around 2010, 2011, people were still kind of thinking, is this just another fad? Is this just the next fitness fad? Well, fitness fads don't tend to stay big for a decade, which CrossFit certainly has at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I, I would say that it wasn't until 
2014 or 15 that I think it had progressed beyond the fact to where people started embracing it in the fitness community. It was clearly no longer a fad. It was clearly going to have some staying power and it was clearly having a positive impact on the strength community in general by bringing in so many people. So I think 2014 or 2015 is kind of when the opinion started to change from being like all anti-CrossFit to being like, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. This may be a good thing. A rising tide could lift all ships here. That's that's interesting. How, how do you guys, because you're in a very niche, narrowly focused, I'll call it, uh, narrowly focused market, your your brand is narrowly focused on, on strength training. Like you said, obviously you're sharing stories from people of all different backgrounds like Rob and, and Rich, um, but you're talking about weight, lifting weights and becoming strong, strong men. Um, so I would imagine for you guys, the, the, the challenging thing is always staying the content is always keeping the content fresh. How do you go about doing that? That's a great question. And I will say we've definitely expanded the things we write on. Um, the cool thing about strength sports is they're not static. They do change and develop over time. That could be because we're learning more about the human body and we're learning how to train smarter. We're learning about more things that impact performance. That could be because there are new athletes coming onto the scene. It could be because strength sports change. For example, uh, weight, weightlifting internationally recently, uh, actually it was a couple of years ago at this point, <laughs> it seems like just yesterday, redid the weight classes, right? Mm. That impacts how people approach the sport and the kinds of people who gravitate toward the sport. Um, there are changes in how sports are governed and how things are and how competitions actually occur. You know, the CrossFit Games, it's expected these days that you're going to have very long endurance events and also water events at every CrossFit Games, maybe even the qualifying levels pre-CrossFit Games, right? You know, a marathon row is nothing, you know, nothing that really surprises people at the CrossFit Games anymore. Ten years ago, that would have been unthinkable. Mm -hmm. Swimming at the CrossFit Games, that would have been novel and new. Now it's just a part of the sport. That sport evolves over time, as do all strength sports. It's interesting how much evolution can occur in a sport, even if that sport just contests two lifts, like weightlifting, which is just a snatch and a clean and jerk. There's always weightlifting news, right? And sure. it, the sport has a lot more depth beyond what you might expect when you first come across it. You're very eloquent in your uh, in your delivery. Obviously, it's that Harvard. Was your, the Harvard uh, was is Goodwill Hunting your favorite movie? <laughs> I didn't. I, funny story. <laughs> I had never watched Goodwill Hunting until about a year after I graduated from college, and all the jokes suddenly made sense. I had I was <laughs> just great. not in on these jokes that people were making about about like how Harvard. you like them apples and, and those things, right? And then this light bulb went off. I was like, oh, that's where that comes from. It was just one of those movies I'd never seen until I graduated. So a great movie. Yeah. Maybe not my favorite movie, uh, but certainly a really good one. Accurate depiction of uh, college life over there? Well, I... Maybe... I, you know, the funny thing in, in the movie is they don't actually spend much time at Harvard, right? right? I guess Minnie Driver's character is a student there, but they spend more, much more time at MIT, Yes. So yes. I, I, you don't really see too much in the realm. You see some like the inside of what's supposed to be a Harvard dorm room and then like a bar in Harvard Square or something like that. Uh, but it's it's really more of like a depiction of MIT graduate student programs, I think. So you're going to have to ask an MIT grad student. What was the most challenging thing about being a, a student at Harvard? I think the most challenging thing for me was, especially as a, a, a a kid at the time, you know, you're, you're, you're still a kid when right. you go to college, let's be honest, so even if you're legally an adult. The thing for me was, it was, 
exposure to more diverse groups of people than I'd ever come across before. I had an awesome upbringing. I had an awesome childhood. I was really fortunate to be able to go to a great uh, boarding school for high school, actually. But I ultimately grew up in the Midwest and the South, right? And while those areas, I think, are more diverse than a lot of people give them credit for, it's still not as diverse as the very international, very multicultural student body that I encountered at Harvard. And I live in New York now, and New York's the ultimate melting pot, right? right? So for me, this is like, feels very familiar now. But when I was just going off to college, I was interacting with people from so many different backgrounds and so many different places. People who spoke different languages, had different accents, different belief systems, different upbringings. It was, a, it was a lot to parse at first. And it was a lot for me to get used to the fact that these people... I had to work in different capacities to find what I had in common with them, right? Because when you grow up in, like, the South or you grow up in the Midwest, I'm from Kentucky, right? If you grow up around people from Kentucky, you might have a lot of differences, but you're all still growing, but, you know, you still have that basis. You yep. still watch the Kentucky Derby. You still love college basketball. Yeah. You still generally love KFC. That is a stereotype, but I love KFC, right? <laughs> I'll admit it. So when you go off to college <laughs> anywhere... You encounter more diverse groups of people, and I think it's especially true if you go to a school that is so international, like like Harvard, and if it is so uh, far away from home. I had only been to New England once before I actually showed up uh, from enrollment at Harvard, and that was when I was looking at colleges initially. So wow. just learning about New England was uh, was also challenging for me. But it was I'm a culture shock. Glad I did it. Yeah, a pure cult culture shock for you. And 18 years old, like you said, you're a child still. Yeah, pure pure culture shock. Yeah, interesting. You you hear stories from about the Ivy League schools in particular about competition and how competitive all the students are. Did you did you feel that there as well? It is pretty competitive, but it's really only as competitive as you want it to be. It depends on what you're studying. It depends on what extracurriculars you're doing. Harvard has a lot of resources, and I think the best advice I can give to anyone if they're heading off to college, especially bigger schools, is that, look, it may feel competitive, but there's a pretty big pie, and a lot of it's unexplored. Exactly. One great thing about Harvard was they had the resources to support not only existing extracurricular activities and student bodies and organizations, but if you wanted to start new ones, right, or host your own event, or expand what was considered doable or expand what was considered what the existing options were for, for students, you could. You could petition to get those resources, to get that funding, to get access to space, things like that. So I think I realized about halfway through college, hey, things are pretty competitive, but you can also kind of forge your own path a little bit. And some of the best friends I made in school were people who really focused on doing that, starting a new organization or, uh, or restarting organizations or student groups that had maybe you know fallen, uh, fallen by the wayside and exploring what the university had to offer beyond just the most common things. It's so counterintuitive. When you think about it, because I went to law school, same thing. A lot of people were really competitive with each other. And uh, nobody succeeds by themselves in the real world. Whether you whether you own and start Bar Bend or whether you're working at a company or anything in between, you need a team of people in order to succeed. So it's kind of – it's one of those things, like you said, there's enough to go around for everybody. It's a it's an old school kind of uh, mentality that's, that's, that's pretty weak in my opinion. You know, just yeah. – you need team. It's nice to bring people up with you because you're going to need somebody or you're going to need those people in your lives at some point. Um, 
So bar band, four years going strong. Uh, obviously, the, what's a day in the life like for you at this point, founder and editor of Barbend? What are you What are you doing? Well, I uh, it's a great question. Every day is a little bit different, which is one reason I like what I do. I spend most of my day in the editorial world, so content creation, whether it's uh, editing content myself or working with our, our teams to produce content. Could be podcasts, written uh, video. Uh, other other forms of audio and more and more I'm trying to do more outreach business development relationship building for the brand uh, those things are very important as our brand grows it's not only what we produce it's who we work with that could be you know revenue generators like sponsored content partnerships it could be organizational partnerships like our partnership with USA weightlifting it could be um, you know forging uh, better relations at other fitness publications so that we can collaborate on projects together sure. I think more and more my, my job is kind of getting the word out talking to people like yourself guesting on podcasts and things like that getting the word out about barbend so that the organization can partner with other groups companies publications influencers you name it and ultimately that's going to help us level up more and more what are the different revenue streams that a company like yours uh experiences Sure. I mean, the most obvious one, and I will say it's an important revenue stream for us, is on-page advertising, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's ads, display ads that you'll see on 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 Barbend. Okay. Um, we get a we get a good bit of traffic. We get millions of eyeballs a month. We're going to monetize that just like any other site. Increasingly, uh, sponsored content, sponsored content partnerships could be sponsorship on a podcast. It could be sponsorship on an article, obviously disclosed and disclaimed and everything like that. Uh, an increasingly important source of revenue uh, for us. YouTube revenue has actually gone up for us significantly as our YouTube channel has grown. Nice. I never thought I'd be factoring in YouTube checks as an important part of Barbara's <laughs> revenue stream, but yeah. increasingly it is the case. We also have... Um, we also review products on the site and uh, you know make money off of uh, affiliate links. That's all obviously disclosed and disclaimed on on the site. If something's an affiliate link, you'll know. We we our readers are smart, so we're not trying to pull a fast one on anyone there. So that's also uh, an important revenue stream uh, for us. Um, so you know it, it's a diverse grouping of revenue streams sure, and it's sure. uh it's something where i think that's going to continue to diversify because media companies these days uh really do need to focus on being multi-platform because if something changes on one platform you don't want to be so beholden to that that in that it just craters you know your revenue stream how, how many employees do you have and of what types of backgrounds are they are they coming from Sure. Well, we're in a bit of flux right now because our team's grown a bit. Um, so I'll give a guest estimate sure. right, right now. Our team's actually grown a bit in 2020. So um, still, Thanks, still Google. in the phase of Thanks, Google. growing it more. Um, so let, we have about, call it eight, <laughs> eight, eight, eight staff members at Barbend. Um, and those are, you know, the full-time folks. But we have dozens of part-time and freelance contributors from around the globe who contribute content uh, a couple times a week or even just once a month, people who are influencers and thought leaders and athletes in the strength space um, who, you know, want to use our platform. And they are they are paid contributors, right? So um, mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're free. Many of them are freelancers, and they contribute to multiple publications. So um, the the Barbin family is uh, is international and is broad as far as the voices you'll see and hear on the site. Barbin is 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, as far as backgrounds, especially for our in-house team, writers and editors make up the majority, but we do have uh, videographers, graphic designers, um, and also we we have recently brought on um, a, a, a sponsored content lead, so someone who can uh, manage our sponsored content partnerships with brands and build new brand relationships. That's fantastic. That's, it sounds like you have a great thing going. You, now, you guys are strictly... Uh, you guys aren't selling any products at this point. Is that correct? That's correct. We have sold some products in the past just to kind of experiment. We, we had some success with it, but we decided a couple of years ago that, look, we needed to double down and really treat content as our product. Physical products is something we may revisit again in the future, uh, but right now we see content as our product. Yeah, content. You're a content provider, information provider, uh, value-added. Yeah, value-add. Um but yeah, I was just wondering because I'm sure there's so much. When I read that the fitness industry in general is, I don't know, what is it like sixty billion a year? They say something crazy. Uh, I think that like like you said, there's endless opportunities. You have to constantly evolve, and uh, who knows what it might lead to? I wonder as the brand grows if you guys consider one day bringing on, you know, brand influencers and those types of things. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say nothing is necessarily off the table, right? Sure. It'd be silly of me to say that because um, a lot of the platforms that we're on right now that Barbin is really you know, investing in, they didn't exist 10 years ago. You know yeah, what I mean? So uh, as things change and, and new uh, platforms uh, come on the scene and as people get their content in, in different and evolving ways, we have to be adaptable there. Absolutely. Hey, real quick, talk about uh, this badassery HQ, if you would. Okay. Well, Badassery HQ is a, uh, a group, a group or a collective or, or a peer group, if you will, of um, speakers and uh, young professionals that I'm involved with. It's based out of New York City, and it's it's a diverse collective, if you will, of um, people from all sorts of different industries. Could be marketing, could be content, could be. Um, Direct to consumer businesses, entrepreneurs, um, you name it, uh, just a, a litany of young professionals. Um, and Badassery is a, a group that does two main things. One, it connects those individuals like myself with speaking opportunities and other engagement opportunities. For example, tomorrow I'm actually speaking to a, a group of uh, international students about uh, um, non traditional careers in journalism, uh, of which I think of a, a decent example. And at the same time, uh, Badassery hosts events. To, connect young professionals in, in a safe and welcoming environment to share their experiences, best practices, knowledge, and basically just help people connect across industries. So it's been a fantastic experience for me thus far. Oh, that's beautiful. When you think about the message, it's pretty clear. Networking is key no matter what. Mm -hmm. Everything's networking. Your, your whole industry, your whole business, everything you've ever done has come through relationship building. And like you said, yeah. that's what you're focusing most of your time on still to this day. It never well, ends. More and more of my time. I, yeah. I would love to focus most of my time on on relationship building because it's imp impactful, and frankly, I really enjoy it. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you could tell that you're a natural. People want to find you guys online. Where do they go? Well, barbend.com, B-A-R-B-E-N-D, is the home for all things Barbend, but we're also on Instagram. We're at Barbend on most social platforms. Beautiful. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok even. We're on TikTok. Uh-oh. Um, and then personally, you can follow me on Twitter at D underscore Tao. That's D underscore T-A-O. And then on Instagram at David Thomas Tao. And we'll link some of those up here in the show notes, David. Um, I really appreciate you shedding light into this uh, company. I didn't realize your company's only been in existence for a few short years. The potential is huge. So uh, we will be watching you and uh, wishing you all the best. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, David. Take care.